Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Soberlink. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, thanks to Soberlink's wireless technology, which delivers test results by text message or email to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Flexible schedules combined with real-time delivery of results make Soberlink the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology. To learn more or sign up today, visit Soberlink.com backslash family dash law. Use promo code BEYOND20 to receive $50 off a device. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I finally found the courage to ask for a divorce. And when he finally agreed and said, okay, let's divorce, um, he said, I want to keep the kids here. I want the kids to stay with me. And I remember my heart sinking in that moment because I ultimately knew that that was the right decision to make. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. And well, today's one of those days that I'm I'm so thankful that I get to do this show and I get to meet amazing people because of it. My guest today is is truly one of those people who I just think is so brave because she is willing to share her her story, her experience. And it's so powerful and important for us all to hear this. I spoke with Susan recently um, about her story and was personally blown away. And you have to remember, I'm a divorce attorney of 30 years. It is hard to blow me away. (laughs) Um, But I'm so grateful for her for being here today, willing to share her story. So thank you, Susan Eckstein, for joining me today. It's great to be here. So I I want everyone to know a little bit about Susan. Um, She is an empowerment coach and speaker, and she helps divorced moms lead with their values so they can define motherhood for themselves. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. But Susan has this really unique perspective on the experience of motherhood, motherhood in divorce and after divorce, and co-parenting. 
Susan leads her clients through a life-changing empowerment process where they challenge their stories. You're going to see how this all weaves into her own story. Change their beliefs and step into, this is one of my favorite words, badassery. Step into your badassery and show up more powerfully for their children. So here's, here's the crux of Susan's story. After becoming a non-custodial mother following her divorce, Susan felt ashamed for years. And, you know, we'll delve into why. Um, there's a lot of, you know, societal reasons behind that. But the fact that she will share those feelings with us is what I believe makes this so powerful. Um, she now helps other divorced moms release their shame and reconnect their power. And I do want um, everyone to know she shared her story of being a non-custodial mother on Speakers Who Dare. And the day that we are taping this, the Speakers Who Dare um, video just dropped today. So we will have a link to that very powerful story um, and Speakers Who Dare uh, episode in the show notes for you all to read. But Susan, I'm really honored that you would come on the show and create this episode with me to help moms and I think, you know, our society at large and expand their concept of what being a good mother, good parent, good co-parent is. Um, so thank you again for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So we met through Lindsay Ellison, um, who is a friend and colleague of mine. She has a podcast that you appeared on um, of her own, Unbreakable You. And uh, for my listeners, Lindsay was a guest. She did the, is the author of Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist, which is a two-part episode we did here on Divorce and Beyond, and I can say is uh, they are two of my most popular episodes ever. Um, Lindsay has her book sits here right next to me. Um, but she she reached out to me after she had you on because your story is so powerful. Um, and so I think the best way to tell your story is to let you tell it. So I've, I've given some hints in this open. Um, but why don't we, you know, start at the beginning when you found yourself um, facing divorce? Um, you know, so going back to that time, does that make the most, most sense? Why don't you give us a little background on your divorce? Sure. Um, my now ex-husband and I, we were, I don't know, I guess we, by that point in time, we had been together almost 18 years. And while I loved him, I wasn't in love with him anymore. Uh, and at the time we were, we had moved back in with his parents in the house that he grew up in. So we had moved from Brooklyn, New York in this tiny little apartment. We had moved out, um, I quit my job. We had moved out uh, to Long Island in the hopes that I would be a stay-at-home mom. The kids would have a really big yard to play in. It was gonna completely change our lives. So we were there probably for two to three years and I was just not happy. Um, you know, being married uh, and uh, decided to ask for a divorce. And so when we sat down and when I finally got the courage to ask for a divorce and uh, it was a really difficult time because he did not want it. But I, but I knew that, you know, I, I really believe we have one life. And I thought if I just stay for the kids, which I know a lot of people just do, the kids aren't going to get the best version of me. 
So I finally found the courage to ask for a divorce. And when he finally agreed and said, okay, let's divorce, um, he said, I want to keep the kids here. I want the kids to stay with me. And I remember my heart sinking in that moment because I ultimately knew that that was the right decision to make um, because if they were going to come with me, um, there was going to be a lot of uncertainty in terms of where I was going to live. Um, I didn't know what my work situation was going to be at the time I was doing, I was a, it was a personal trainer and a triathlon coach and everything was great, but I worked when everybody else was off. So my hours were going to be crazy. There were a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but at that time, I just thought, oh my God, they're my kids. To, 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 like, who, who does this? Who just says, okay, you know, you, kids can, can stay here in this, in this wonderful environment um, that uh, we were able, that he was able to provide for them. Um, and he also said to me, as we started talking about this, he said, he said, Susan, why don't we do this? Why don't you keep a key? you can keep a key to the house because the kids are little, they were seven and nine at the time. You keep a key to the house. You continue to come into the house. You continue to greet the kids off the bus, bring, go in, take them off the bus, continue to be the homework parent and get them settled after school. And hopefully this will ease the adjustment um, for the kids. And as great as that sounds, it was just a gut-wrenching decision because, you know, society says, my mother said, my friend said, what the hell are you doing? You're giving up your kids. And in the, and in the moment, I was like, I did really feel like I was giving up my kids, even though we had agreed on joint custody. He was giving me a key. He said I could see the kids whenever I wanted. I mean, we were working together closely to make sure that this was going to be a great situation, not only for the kids, but for both of us. Um, and it was just, it was just a very, very emotional time for oh, me. I, I can, you know, the minute you said, he said, I want the kids to stay here with me. My initial you know, reaction was how scary that sentence must have sounded to you because I know working with parents, you know, for so such a long time, working out custody arrangements or shared parenting time, that one of the biggest fears for every parent is not having enough time with their children. Um, and so when you, when you hear, I want the kids here with me, you must have, I mean, I can't imagine you didn't have an immediate reaction of fear it was like this visceral deep reaction that, you know, they, they can't, you know, I gave birth to them. Now, now you're saying, no, I can't, you know, kiss them goodnight, get them ready for school in the morning. Like all of the things that, you know, I know a lot of moms are like, Oh, the morning rush and all that stuff. It's like, all of a sudden I'm not going to have that and have that kind of relationship. What's that going to mean to me as, um, you know, what's my role going to be with them? Because all of a sudden, all of these things that I have been doing every day, day in and day out, are no longer going to be there. Um, and it was just, it was such a difficult decision to make. 
Um, but it ultimately ended up being the right one. And I'm, I'm really proud that I found the courage to do it and not go through a big, big fight with him to try to get the kids just because I felt like they had to be with me because I was their mom. And that's, you know, I think that the courage to make the decision is what makes this such a brave story to tell. Um, and I think what's powerful about that is, although your initial response was, as you say, a visceral fear, you were able to somehow step back from the situation or be able to take a look at this. And I have, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that you made the decision that it was best for your children to remain in the in the house with your now ex-husband and for you to be the one with the key. Um, and and so what do you think made you able to do that? Well, when I looked at the situation, by leaving them in this house, they had stability, right? They would have the constant love and companionship of their grandparents. Who lived upstairs they'd be able to attend the same school they'd be on the same bus they'd be on the same block as their friends who they played with every day um, they would just have so much more stability and love from the multiple you know his parents um, and and he had a job that allowed him to be home a little bit more with the kids and the fact that he said i could come and go it was almost like you know, why, why would I fight for the sole purpose of because I'm their mom? This was clearly in the best interest for the kids. We want, I mean, it doesn't matter what age the kids are when parents divorce, but my kids were seven and nine. They were still little and we didn't, we wanted to make this as easy a transition as possible for them. And, and, and so that's, that's really why by keeping them there, they would have less disruption to their daily lives. The only difference would be is that mom lived somewhere else. That's the only difference. Well, and I think that that's a significant factor. Something you just said in, in there really jumped out at me because, you know, I even have a, I think a video about this on my, um, YouTube channel, because what I find with parents as I've worked through parenting plans and trying to plot out what a parenting plan will look like is it's it's easy to say that you want to do what will work best for the children. But when it comes down to it, what I end up hearing quite a bit from parents is, and this is the phrase I always use, but I want more time with my kids, but I want, but I can't be away from them. I can't miss putting them on the bus in the morning or tucking them in at night. And it becomes very much about uh, the parent's role in the child's life as opposed to what's best for the children. And I think that's human nature, but it's very hard for us to take that step back and actually truly prioritize what the children need. But that was something that you were able to do. But it sounds like your ex also, rather than using that as a way to diminish your role, he helped you to redefine your role with the key? Or would you say, you know, that the two of you worked out a new way of your being their mom or, you know, bring, keeping you involved? How, do you, how did you two manage to co-parent and work that out together? 
Um, well, I will say that it was not an easy transition at all. Him saying, keep the keys, um, it suddenly meant there would be days when he would be home because of the job situation that he had at the time. And now suddenly when it used to be that kids came home from school and he and I would be sit, you know, sitting around the kitchen table, all of a sudden he didn't want to be there anymore. And it was just this strange adjustment that he and I needed to, needed to learn how to work out where um, he was very kind in that he wanted to make sure that my role with the kids did not really change. So he, you know, he, on, on the days that I would greet the kids off the bus, it was one of those things that he made sure that he was not home. Um, and he allowed me to still have that, that special role that I always had with my kids after school. I kept that role as the homework parent and getting them settled after school. And some nights I would, I would cook dinner for them in the kitchen. We once shared as a family, which was kind of a, it was, it was kind of surreal when you think about it, looking back, how it was uncomfortable. It was like, where's dad? It was, it was just an adjustment for all of us. Um, but so when I was in the house, he, he and I worked together to, to make sure that I was able to keep many of the roles that I had in the house. But, but then when I was not with the kids and I was suddenly seeing the kids through FaceTime or talking with them on the phone, or then when they would come to stay with me, um, I had to learn how to redefine some roles for myself that I suddenly no longer had. And that was a very, very hard time for me. I just, it was such a shameful period of time because all of a sudden my role of caring for them when they were sick, I didn't have that anymore. Um, just a bunch of, of, of little things that just caused me to just sit in this terrible place of shame for years. And subsequently my kids didn't get didn't get the best version of mom during that time. And it wasn't until I was willing to say, okay, I can either just sit in this terrible hole that I've put myself in, or I could say enough. I'm going to work really hard to release the shame, show up fully for my kids and just define what's important to me. How do I want to show up for them? What kind of mother do I want to be for them and lead from that place? And once I was willing to do that, it was a, it was a huge game changer for me. And my relationship with my kids suddenly became deeper and it was so much better. It was much more open. Everything changed, but I had to make that decision. And, and there's the power in, in your experience. I think um, when I have listened, you know, to your story and we have spoken, you know, as a divorce professional, when you hear that a mom is a non-custodial mother, um, you know, it, it leads to this question of, well, what's what's wrong with you that you don't have your custody of your children, right? And so I, that shame that you're talking about experiencing, I think there's a knee-jerk reaction in our society to thinking that mothers are the parents who should have custody. It should be that way. And if it's not that way, there must be something wrong with the mom. And so when you're talking about shame, was there a, there's a component of it, I think, that's internal, but there's also that component that's external um, that had to, I think, have played into 
your experience after the decision was made. Did you did you get a negative response from the external world? I got a negative response from nearly every woman that I told. Um, I remember when my my ex and I were were deciding on this, I remember calling my mother and my mother's initial reaction was, you can't, you can't let, you know, you can't let this happen. You're their mom. Um, A handful of my friends who knew me well, um, they were more understanding. But once I settled, once I moved out of the house and I started sharing this, um, my situation with other people, you know, men, uh, men were okay. Men were like, that's awesome. That's awesome. You got a great relationship with your ex. But when you, you, I I would tell women, it was just like, oh, like, 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 why would you do that? You know, and, and there would all of a sudden be this like energetic shift in the conversation that all of a sudden I could feel this incredible judgment that was being thrown my way. And, what you know i was getting that for a while and then i got it so much i was just like you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell people this anymore and i completely shut down and i didn't share at all that my kids lived with their dad just wouldn't just wouldn't do it it was just it was such an awful time and even today you know you share you know when i tell people you can just it's it's actually it's very funny now because i i just know that they're going to judge me and that's okay and this has nothing to do with me at all it has nothing to do with me this is just it's not something that's openly talked about this arrangement like last year i did a talk where i shared um that I was a non-custodial parent. And after the talk, I had a woman from the audience come up to me and she said, I have to tell you, I am also a non-custodial, non-custodial mother. And it was the first time I, that I had heard that, oh my God, there's someone else just like me, which led me to Googling, you know, non-custodial mothers. And there's hardly anything written about it. Anything that's written, it's predominantly around shame. And I was like, this, this has to change. This has to change. So um, that's why I'm openly talking about it now. I'd like to take a moment now to talk to my mediation colleagues. As many of us are facing the inability to continue our in-person mediation and dispute resolution practices, I want you to know there's an alternative option. Many of you do know that I have a fully online mediation and coaching practice, and for more than two years, I've actually been training other professionals in how to conduct their mediations online through my Learn to Mediate online program. I've always said that the future of mediation and dispute resolution is online, and now, honestly, that future is here. In my two-hour training program, you'll learn the basics of conducting your mediations through an online video conferencing platform, and I'll cover the practical and ethical considerations that you need to know to do it well. Right now, we also have several webinars scheduled, and we offer one-on-one and group trainings by appointment. I've reduced the cost of the webinars to only $299 so that as many of you as possible have access. So go to www.learntomediateonline.com to find out more and register today. 
Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Susan Eckstein, who shares her brave story on redefining motherhood from the perspective of a non-custodial mom. You know, I believe like the moment we give birth to our children, society says, hey, here's a scorecard for you. We're going to suddenly keep score. And it's hard enough when you think you're checking off all the boxes. The moment you get divorced, suddenly you're not checking off half the boxes. So I decided I'm not going to I'm not going to continue to measure my worth as a mom against what society says is a good mom. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Moving Out of the Shadows and Finding Next Level Love with Junie Moon, The Love Coach. We are getting in our own way and we are sabotaging the very thing we want because of the fear. And so what are the gremlins? The gremlins I call the inner critic, that those thoughts that take away our power, the thoughts that, that say on some level, you're not good enough, it's not going to happen for you. And they take away our self-esteem. And now we return to today's show. There's power in talking about it because what you said earlier is you stopped telling anyone. It became a shameful secret almost in that in that keeping it silent, not telling people. Even though you made the decision out of love for your children and an ability to be the best parent that you could be. Unfortunately, these external forces, you know, and, and societal perceptions of what a good mother or what mothering and parenting is about have have not changed to the extent that that our living situation or, or realities have changed. I mean, you and I were talking just before we started taping about the fact that just all of our lives have changed to the point where, you know, from the time I practiced 30 years ago, where parenting plans were mom has physical custody, dad sees the kids every other weekend to now there's almost a, a knee jerk, it's going to be 50-50 shared parenting, unless there's some reason for it not to be that. But this is an experience, what strikes me is this is an experience that I have heard my fathers when I've represented dads, your experience of fear and that you're not going to see your children and not be able to be a part of their lives in the same way, being maybe marginalized in their lives is what I have always heard from my father, the fathers I've represented. Um, and then there's that additional layer of societal, you know, perceptions of what motherhood is about. But so you mentioned that you were able to work through the shame that you made a you made a conscious decision to, to work through that. Can you share how you did that or, or some steps for that? Because anybody who's listening, who might be where you were, they're probably lost in the shame and in the secret still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it was it was interesting how I ended up coming to do the work because at the time I had hired a business coach and I was looking to expand my coaching practice. And one of the exercises that she had me do was to define my values. And so I was initially looking at my values list as it related to my business. But as I started to do this work, I had this aha moment of this is the work that I need to do for me 
so I can identify what's important to me. What are the values that are important to me, whether that's love or compassion, vulnerability, communication, empowerment, what are those values? And then from there, start to explore where am I out of integrity with those values? So for instance, one of my big values has always been courage. I've done a lot of really hard things in my life. And yet this was one of those things where I was completely not leading with courage as it came to embracing the decision that I made to be the non-custodial parent. And because I wasn't embracing courage, I was not showing up every day in a powerful position with them. And I had to make the choice to say, I don't care what society says is a good mom because, you know, I believe like the moment we give birth to our children, society says, Hey, here's a scorecard for you. We're going to suddenly keep score. And it's hard enough when you think you're checking off all the boxes, the moment you get divorced, suddenly you're not checking off half the boxes. So I decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue to measure my worth as a mom against what society says is a good mom. And that was a choice that I had to make every day, like hour by hour, as I would, you know, interact with my kids, as I would talk to other moms about my situation, I had to begin to open up and tell people again, yeah, I'm a non-custodial mom and it works for us. And stop just hiding behind that. That was the first thing that I had to do. I had to own it and be proud of the decision. And once I was willing to do that and then start to explore all my other values that were so important to me over a period of months, it really wasn't a long time, but over a period of months, I was able to um, show up more fully and not feel that gut-wrenching reaction of every time I told somebody and they just looked at me like I had two heads and that I was a bad person, I was able to not be affected by that anymore. And that's when I really realized, okay, I have made a huge shift here and I'm not carrying that burden around anymore because it's not serving anybody, especially me and my kids. Well, that's, you know, that's the part that jumps out again at me, at me is you weren't showing up as your best self for your children when you were showing up in a place of shame over your decision and not owning it, as you said. I mean, it was a decision made out of an enormous amount of love for your children and wanting, as you said, stability for them and knowing that that staying in their home where they were with that security was going to be the best thing for them. So that showed courage to make the decision. Also owning it obviously takes some courage and, and ability to, um, you know, to say, to own that it's easy to say, I'm going to own my decision to actually live in that space much harder to do. Well, I think, I think I, for me and the little I found online about this, there's, there's so, you feel like you failed not only as a mom, but as a woman. And to be able to release that is just, it's not something that can be done overnight. You just have to be willing to every day, regardless of what other people might be saying about you. I mean, I used to, you know, a couple of years after we left, after, after I moved out of the house, I would go to baseball games 
and the moms who I used to sit with on the bleachers, all, you know, it, it suddenly became this weird dynamic. And I was like, this is nuts. I'm still the same mom, still the same woman. And uh, it was just, I just had to come to terms with it and say, this has nothing to do with me. I did the best, I made the best decision for my kids. Me and my ex were still working together to make sure that they continued to feel loved and have stability. And, and it's, and it's just a work in progress and, and it can be done. And it, 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 if, if as, as a woman, you're able to just say, I'm, I'm making the best decision for my kids, that right there should just be like the opening of the door to release that shame that yeah. exists around it. I mean, if you if you Google online mommy shaming, you know, there's it's it's not just divorced moms that have custodial issues. I mean, there's a whole, you know, uh, world of mothers judging other mothers, women judging other women, you know, instead of I the, the phrase, I think it was. um Oh, gosh, I'm not. Um, but it, the, the phrase women who don't there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. Um, but in fact, women can be some of the hardest people in the world on other women. Um, and when mothers are judging each other's mothering capabilities, I think it's more about our insecurities uh, as to our own capabilities that and having to feel that we're doing something better than someone else. Um, and, and really the power is in accepting that everyone has different choices. Everyone has different, um, things that, that are going to work best for their families and embracing that for everyone. So, but it's very hard to do when no one will talk about it. So you're sharing your story is, I think a, a powerful, powerful first step, um, for people to start opening their minds to families look different in the world that we live in today. And we need to be open-minded to all different permutations that work best for each family. So I know you work with um, divorced moms to help them you know, process their role, their changing role, because even if you are the custodial parent, there's going to be a changing role for moms. You know, now your children will be with your co-parent at times. You're not going to be there every time something happens. Um, so do you work with moms across the board in, in helping to redefine their, their role as a divorced parent? Definitely. It's not, I, I, I don't just work with non-custodial mothers like I, I said earlier in the interview, I, I believe that we get this scorecard and, you know, moms live and die by this scorecard. You know, we compare ourselves, you know, stay-at-home moms compared to working moms to all of the, the, the different uh, permutations that you discussed earlier. And all of a sudden, I mean, a lot of, you know, we don't, we don't go in and get married and then have kids going, well, at some point I'm going to be a divorced mom. We, we never plan, you know, we don't think that's going to happen to us. So just getting a divorce, I think from a mom perspective, we feel like we're letting our family down. We feel like we're letting our kids down. And so when those roles and responsibilities that we've had all of a sudden are gone or they change, um, there can be so much shame around that. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can come at it from a place of saying, what kind of a relationship do I want to have with my kids? 
okay, I want to have this kind of relationship. If I want to have this kind of relationship with my kids, who do I need to be to step into that role and create those experiences and, and be that kind of mother I want to be? We can say all we want that I want to be um, a powerful role model for them. I want to, you know, encourage you know, vulnerable conversations so we can have a deeper sense of, of communication. But if I'm not willing to have vulnerable conversations elsewhere in my life, I'm not going to be able to do that with my kids. So when I work with women, I sit down and we, we identify what kind of relationship, ultimately, what kind of person do I need to be to have the relationship I want to create with my kids? And then I say, we, we work and say, okay, where are we now? Who are you now? Who do you need to be to have that kind of relationship you want? Let's close the gap. So there's so much internal work that goes on here, but it's also identifying what are my values and how can I fully step into living and embodying that value as it relates to parenting with my kids. I mean, one of the things that a role that has just suddenly um, sort of fell into my lap. So my boys are now 15 and 16. And I had heard about this book called Boys and Sex by Peggy Ornstein, that she also has a girls and sex book that is not to be believed. But as I listened to this book, I was like, okay, I know that my, that their dad is not going to step into this role here. And I all of a sudden was like, okay, I'm going to be a mom that goes in and starts talking about these difficult topics that nobody wants to have a conversation with their kids about. <laughs> I can hear people <laughs> listening right now going, oh, yeah, don't want to talk about that. Right, right. But I, I had listened to this book and I was like this, and because, you know, courage is a, is a value, empowerment's a value, open communication, that's a big value for me. I, you know, I picked up my kids, they were coming over to my house and I'm driving in the car and I said, listen, guys, I have something I really want to talk to you about. And I said, and so I said, I want to talk to you about porn. And I was scared. <laughs> well, to you death, got you their know. attention. Got their attention. You know, they're captive in the car. And, uh, <laughs> and my son turns to me, my older son turns to me and he goes, mom, when you said you wanted to talk to us about something of all the things, you know, that <laughs> I thought were going in my head that you would want to talk to, about, to about me about, this was not one of them. But it was a moment where, I was able to step in and really have a deep conversation with them. And it was uncomfortable for all of us, but as a result, but as a result, my kids have started talking to me about these things. And this is not something that I think that if I had stayed the person I was a few years ago, I would have never talked about this, but because I lead every day, what are my values? I'm going to show up this way and parent in a way that I feel really good about as a result of changing. I mean, my role completely changed in this situation and I'm really proud of it. And I, and we all have this opportunity to do the same thing. Like what you said earlier about non-custodial dads, they too can, can completely go through this process. It's not just about, Oh, I want more time with my kids. It's, what am I going to do? How am I going to, who am I going to be in the time I have together with them? That, and 
that is really the strongest message out of all of this is is divorce or any any day you wake up is your day where you can redefine your who you're going to be who you're going to be to your children how you're going to show up for your life and for them so it doesn't have to be the decision to be the non-custodial parent or to be the custodial parent or any of that to get a divorce but we always have that option to to show up in a new way and be a better person so i love that i love that you help people to do that mothers to do that parents to do that um, through your coaching now so tell people who would want to reach out to you how they can get in touch with you find out more about your story and definitely tell us um about your um about your speakers who dare because uh i i I can't wait to go watch it now that it's available uh well people can go to my website the susanextein.com uh to learn more about me and my story and working with me they can reach out to me uh via email susan at the susanextein.com uh speakers who dare uh was it's it's was such an amazing experience to give a talk um, about my story and about what society says is a good mom and uh, how what why I believe that we're all in a, we we all have an opportunity here if we're willing to basically throw away this scorecard that society gives us and say okay what's important to me. And, and come from that place. If every mom was willing to do that, that's moms who are still married, divorced moms, single moms. If every mom was willing to say, okay, these are the values that are important to me. This is how I want to show up for my kids. This is how I want to be their mother. Um, there would be a lot less stigma and sting as it relates to being not only a divorced mom, but a non-custodial mom. Because I know that there are a lot, you know, that I, I haven't been able to find an exact statistic about it. But the, the last thing I could find was there's more than three million single father headed households in the U.S., which suggests that there are approximately as many non-custodial moms. So there are quite a few of us around. So my hope was that by sharing this through speakers who dare and also sharing it with with you that, you know, people are going to be like, OK, I understand now. And there will be an opportunity for when they do come in contact with someone who shares and says, yeah, I'm a non-custodial mother, that there, there is an acceptance there instead of a tearing down and a full-blown judgment against that, that woman. So um, that's my hope. Well, that's in mine as well. And that's why I'm so thankful that you were willing to share your story and would it came on the show. And I urge everyone, I will have a link to the speakers who dare. You also have a program coming up um, in uh, June. Can you tell us a little bit about the program? Yes, I'm doing, uh, I have a program called The Empowered Path After Divorce. And uh, this program is for any divorced mom who is having a tough time releasing the shame she feels about her decision or about how she feels like she's not showing up in a way that is really serving her kids. So in this program, it's a group of like-minded, like-minded um, moms. And we basically go through this. Um, it's a really powerful process, actually, of defining what's important. Forget about what society says. These are the things that you need to do as a mom. What's important to you? 
and we and we start digging into those values and um, trying to help uh, the moms, you know, really throw out the head trash, the negative stories, the beliefs that they have about themselves as to why they can't have a real powerful relationship with their kids as a divorced mom. We work through all that, and then I help them define well what's important okay now that you've defined what's important what are the things that you can be doing to support that so you can integrate it into your life with your kids and it's such a powerful um it's such a powerful program it's really awesome to see moms come in feeling like they they don't have an option to coming out realizing that they can lead in any way they want and they're happier as a result of it and they have a more meaningful relationship with their kids and in the end, that's really the the point of all of this. You, re, you know, I think the most powerful part of your entire message is you feel you are now showing up as the best mom you can be for your kids through these decisions. So I urge everyone to reach out to you, fi- go to the website, find the program, definitely watch the speakers who dare. And Susan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Susan. This was an awesome opportunity. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.